0: Hey, welcome to Alex's Podcast. I'm Alex Larson and My Brother Went on a Mission. Today we have my brother Keith Larson with me to talk about what it was like to be a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He was a missionary for a little bit over 2 years across the span of 3 years because of the pandemic. He has a lot of different experiences teaching in different areas and different languages. So take a listen if you want to learn about what it's like to be a missionary. Thanks for joining me, Keith.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Alex.
0: What a great brother. So, for any listeners who are unfamiliar with a mission, and missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, can you give a rundown of what their job is, what their goal is, and what do they do on a daily basis?
1: Okay, so, breaking down that question, starting with, first of all, missionaries. For people who have, who don't know what missionaries are, you've probably seen us before, and you've seen... To, to young kids in white shirts and ties walking on the side of the road. Maybe you've honked at them, maybe you've laughed at them. Maybe you've heard of other friends going, serving in, in various parts of the world, but we we serve in all, all places, like my sister said, Alex. I was in, in Mexico City. I was specifically in the state of Mexico, in the state of Hidalgo. Um, we serve for a period of two years, of 24 months, or in the case of... Of women 18 months and during that time we are assigned to a specific place um and our main job our main purpose you could say is to invite others to come into christ by helping them to receive the restored gospel which is faith in jesus christ and his atonement repentance baptism receiving the gift of the holy ghost and enduring to the end so basically we spend those two years Preaching to people, talking to people, helping them get to know Boys Christ better.
0: Yeah, Yeah. very good description. Couldn't have done it better myself because I was not a missionary. (laughs) 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 All right, let's, let's, let's jump into it, Keith. So when we were young and in primary, you probably sang the song that I sang. I hope they call me on a mission. Do you remember the tune? How does it, how does it go?
1: I hope they call me on a mission. <laughs> Very good.
0: <laughs> right? And so at that age, did you always know you were going to go on a mission? Was it something you wanted to do? Or did you just assume you would do it? Thinking back to young Keith, what did you think about missions?
1: I think during my like entire life it was always like clear that I would go on a mission at different points in time. Maybe it had different motives behind why I thought that. Like as a kid, I'm sure I want to be a missionary because like it just was, it sounded so exciting to go to a new place and to just experience a new like lifestyle. And then later on it might've turned into like, well, it's something that you know, everyone is expecting of of anyone who's in that church. But finally, it turned out to be what I realized is the best thing I could do. And that's why I decided to go.
0: At, at what age did you start to seriously consider going on a mission?
1: I'd say when I was around 17.
0: Just when you started to do, like, your papers and all of that?
1: Uh-huh. Around there.
0: And you said sometimes there's pressure. Did you feel because um, priesthood holders are expected to go on missions, right? If they're worthy priesthood holders, is that right? Mm -hmm. So, and for anyone who doesn't know, can you explain why it is they expect priesthood holders to go on a mission?
1: Yes, so um, the reason why it's expected that priesthood holders go on a mission is because it's, it's a commandment. It means that the prophet has declared that all worthy, able-bodied young men should prepare to serve missions. Um, this is because the serving a mission is the way that people who don't have the gospel are able to receive it. Because if there's not anyone to teach them the gospel, then they wouldn't. They would never learn, and they would never get the blessings of of living the gospel
0: and did you feel any pressure because all the other young men or maybe not everyone was but a lot of people were getting ready to go on missions did you feel a greater pressure to go on one just because other people were or did you from the time you're 17 feel like you wanted to go on one because like solely because you wanted to go on one
1: i mean if we're being honest and looking at all of the youth from my age that I was around, there were five of us, and I'm pretty sure I was the only one who went on a mission. Okay. So um I didn't really receive pressure much from, like, that side, from, like, seeing everyone else prepared, because honestly I wasn't around that many people who seriously were wanting to or thinking about going on a mission. Um, Maybe places of pressure could have come from family or just from from that expectation from other leaders, but honestly, I, I kind of knew I was supposed to go always, but it just still sometimes just depends on the person, you know?
0: Yeah. So once you finally get your call, you did all your papers or submitted and it's time to read the call. What was your initial feeling when you read your mission and say the mission name again? So I don't okay,
1: um, the mission was the mission, the Mexico City North mission. Um, my first thought when I was opening that was, well, first and foremost, I thought it was going to be in Mexico City, um, which it, it's not. That mission is not in Mexico City. Um, secondly, I, I was a little scared because when he when I thought about Mexico before, I thought of, like, deserts, and I thought of the narcos. So I was kind of like, uh, am I going to die? <laughs> and then we kind of, like, read into it more, and it looked like it was a lot, not necessarily a safe area, but it was not as unsafe as other parts.
0: Yeah, like and... you got to know it more and understand.
1: hmm And, yeah, so just, like, as I was praying just to be able to, like, just kind of have that in the back of my mind. It it helped though, just to know what I was going to expect because, as once you like can narrow down what you're expecting, then you can kind of understand how the mission will will turn out in the end.
0: Yeah. So when did you receive your call? Around um, what month? It
1: was, if I remember, right, it was in the middle of June.
0: That's when you received your call. Yes. And was that after your, was that going into senior year or after, that's after senior year? That was
1: after my senior year.
0: Okay. And then when did you leave on your mission?
1: In September.
0: And that's 2019? Yes. September 2019. So, and you went to the MTC in Mexico City, right? Yes. So, what, what do you do there? What is the main goal they try, how do they teach you? Just what's the rundown Mm -hmm. of the MTC? I mean...
1: As you know that MTC is the Missionary Training Center. So basically, the I was there for a period of six weeks with kind of two purposes, you could say. The first one was to learn how to be a missionary, to learn how to teach, learn the principles that we were going to teach to people, learn more about the scriptures, and uh, learn more techniques of teaching, of talking with people, meeting people on the street, stuff like that. And then the other main purpose that we had in the MTC was to, um, was to learn Spanish. Obviously, in six weeks, we weren't going to learn Spanish to be fluent, but it was more than anything just to give us like a base so we could learn, learn how to learn Spanish without anyone else who spoke English.
0: And in those Spanish classes, do they focus on grammar, or are they focusing more on vocabulary for missionary teaching? Or it was is it a comments?
1: bit of both, because like you can't speak without the grammar, but you also need to know the words of the gospel to teach in Spanish. So it was a bit of both, just vocabulary, whether it was gospel-rated or just normal words, and same, just grammar, which is just... It's just grammar, like, it doesn't.
0: And did you feel prepared to enter the field after the MTC, or do you think you could use more training or less training?
1: I think I was prepared enough. Obviously, you're never going to finish preparing. You're never going to, like, no one's ever, like, perfect at anything, especially after six weeks. Like, you can only do so much in that time. And a lot of the training does end up really coming from just in-field experiences, not as much from just the MTC.
0: Yeah, so how did you feel when you first entered the mission field? That first week or two, what were your initial reactions to that?
1: I remember thinking, where in the world am I? I, my first night of sleep when I was in my first area in Tultepec. um, a rooster woke me up at five o'clock in the morning and like i wasn't in like some small little town i was in a really big to me it seemed like a big town because there's just packed with houses packed packed with houses like i was up on a hill and you could see like across a valley just filled with buildings filled with houses so i just kind of felt like why is there roosters here to wake me up i was so confused And same like the first day, I heard like a bell ringing outside, and there was the trash, and it was a a cart being pulled by a donkey, and I was like, what the, like what why isn't it like a trash truck? (laughs) And then they're past the guy who sells the tamales, and past the guy who picks up the old metal. And I'm past the guy who, uh, I guess, what else do they have there? Um, who sells the water. They're just past guy after guy after guy, doing random things each person. And I was really confused.
0: <laughs> so you're here in this new world. You're trying to adjust to everything. And now you have to start being a missionary. So what were... What are some of the things you would do? Were you knocking doors, just walking the streets? Were you using Facebook? Just This is your first time around on your mission. What were you Oh, doing?
1: the first, when I was there for those first six months, it was yeah. a lot of just first um, knocking doors quite a bit, talking to people in the street. And something else that we did a lot while we were there was we... Would work a lot with the members as we would, we would like talk with them. We'd go to their houses. We'd see if we can do anything for them, and we'd see if they know anyone that we could teach stuff like that. So, because that was the fast, that was the best way of finding people. Because yeah, knocking doors, a lot of people won't just let random two two people. One of them being white just come into their their home for no reason. But when it's like a member who it's a friend that's telling them about it, who knows what their needs are and knows how this could help them, it's a lot more likely that they'll be receptive.
0: Yeah. What were some of the more challenging experiences when trying to teach people the gospel?
1: One thing I noticed a lot while I was down there was um, a lot of people didn't like to comm- keep their commitments. They would very often, um, like say they were going to do something. They'd promise us that they're gonna do something, and in the end, they just they just never did anything. And every time you felt like they're finally gonna do it, they're finally gonna come to church. They're finally gonna read. The Book of Mormon, or they're finally going to start praying, and then you'd get there the next time, and they'd be like, oh, so, "I'm so sorry, you wouldn't believe this week that I've had." Like, not we're just like it just happens every week with everybody, and it's it's frustrating after a while, but it's just kind of what happens.
0: And what, what was the difference with that with people who did follow through? How were they following through to get to the point where they? Or getting better understanding of the gospel, like what could you see in them that was different?
1: Well, usually you could, you. It was very obvious when they would keep them, like obvious, like when you ask them, they say they keep it. Then you can re- repass it, and the biggest reason why missionaries in the first place give commitments is so that people can gain a testimony. It isn't necessarily just something to
0: like an like in a
1: like homework exactly it's it's something that's there to help them so as they did it and they kept the commitments and they did what we asked them to do they were slowly able to to gain this testimony of of Jesus Christ and of the Book of Mormon and of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints nice
0: so what was the your favorite lesson to teach people
1: i really liked to teach people the the gospel of Jesus Christ which like I said at the beginning when we teach it we're talking about faith repentance, baptism receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and enduring to the end and I really liked teaching that because it's something that's really really simple for the people it's really simple it's really easy for them to understand and as you can explain it with Scriptures from the Book of Mormon and from the Bible, it helps them understand the importance of not just like knowing what the gospel is, but it's, it's living the gospel. It's actually acting on each of these each of these principles that, that we have.
0: So and so, you first go around on the mission, how would you have defined success, and how did that change, the second time, that you went out on your mission.
1: I would say the first time I went around success was just like like working hard um and just trying to help people in general. And I'd say like after um I went home for the pandemic and waited out a time and came back it was Clear, Like, I wasn't entirely off with wanting to help people and trying to work hard, but it wasn't just about that. The whole reason we're there is to, like, help people to come into Christ. So as everything was directed into doing that for the people and helping them come closer to Christ, specifically through baptism, it became a lot easier to, to help people. Because you know exactly what things you can do to help them to achieve that goal.
0: Yeah. All right. So now we'll kind of, at this point, it's March, 2020. And I remember we're talking on the phone with you, Keith, and we're saying, hey, there's this pandemic, it's COVID, and I think it's going to shut everything down. And you were like, I've never heard of this thing. Do you remember this? You didn't? Yeah really know much about it probably because you don't have social media that you actively use right Unless, mm-hmm. do you spe- we
1: weren't like, we weren't allowed to at first
0: use facebook and stuff mm-hmm. so then we come back to you a week or two later and you're like yeah we're shut down we're not allowed to do stuff what did you do during those few weeks when everything was shut down
1: it was horrible oh my goodness um we had emergency transfers i was with a companion And I got transferred in the middle of that period of six weeks to be with another companion because they said everyone who is um, a foreigner is going to go home. So they sent me with another American. And another consequence is, like we were talking about in the MTC, is they teach American Spanish, but another thing they do in that MTC in Mexico is they teach people from the Caribbean English. So that they can go to missions in like Jamaica and places like that, so there was people who were from Haiti from other countries in the Caribbean who were stuck in in the m t c and we got a companion who was from Haiti who had been learning English for about five weeks and didn't know any Spanish, and it was just me and another American and him so it was it was an interesting two weeks. Uh, We spent a lot of the time um, just cleaning the house, um, taking naps, studying, taking another nap. Um, What else would we do? Every Sunday we'd go to the church and I would teach my companion some Spanish and some English. We'd talk a lot in in English back at, at home so that way he could learn the English. Which was funny because in the end, he needed to know more Spanish because he ended up staying for another like five months after that. So that was an interesting interesting two weeks. It was really interesting because when they told us we were going home, they just said you're going home. But they didn't have any tickets. They didn't know when everyone was going home. So they said just keep your bags packed and we'll call you when we know when your flight is. So, like, you could easily know when your f- flight is, like, the day before the flight or the day of the flight. So, just every day, just thinking, like, I could go home today or maybe tomorrow. And then it happens like that for two weeks. It's it's killer. Let me tell you.
0: Because <laughs> you're like, oh, when you have the idea in your head that you can go home, it's like,
1: well. Yeah. Exactly. So you have the idea that you could go home and it, not just, like, a set time. You're like, any day now. But you have no idea which day.
0: And then finally the day then, did come. How much time did you get? Like, Was it just a day or two notice? Or? It, was
1: the, it was funny because it was like a three-day notice, technically. Because um, They when the pandemic start, started, they gave us permission to start talking with our families Fridays and Mondays. And I'm pretty sure I came home on like a Monday or a Tuesday. And on Friday when I talked to to mom and dad to our parents, they said we got your flight plane in and you're leaving Tuesday or Monday, whatever day it was
0: And you didn't even
1: And I it. had no idea until they said that. <laughs> so that's that's how I found out. So I did had a little bit more of notice than than some other people, but still not not the biggest not notice. The best. <laughs> yeah.
0: Alright, so then you get home and you're presented with two options, right? One option is you get reassigned stateside, and you're going to leave in the next few few weeks, right? And you're just going to finish out your mission with the rest of the time you have. Or you have another option. You wait a full year, and then you possibly can return back to your originally assigned mission. So what did you choose, Keith? And why did you choose that option?
1: Well... I chose to stay home for a year and then to go back out on the mission. Um, and I chose that because I didn't even know that was really an option. I heard that everyone is going to be reassigned. That was until I got home and the state president said that there's an option to do that. And I didn't know which option to take. So he just kind of told me to to think about it and to pray about it. And then in the end, I just, after thinking about it and praying about it, decided it would be be better to stay home for the year.
0: And so for that year, you went to BYU-Idaho, so your freshman year. Do you feel like there's anything you learned during that year that helped you on your mission, or do you think it was more just a good kind of break moment what do you think that helps you with when going back to your mission
1: I think it definitely did help me when going back to my mission it helped me to just be more focused it was a good break not gonna lie (laughs) but um, it definitely helped me learn more about the gospel and to get build a stronger testimony while I was there Um, yeah as I was there just to be able to Be around good people, help me just make good choices, and help me as well strengthen my testimony.
0: All right, so when you went back out, it was the summer of, is it 2021? Is that when you went back out? Yep, June 1st,
1: 2021. June 1st,
0: 2021. And where did you first go?
1: I first went to the California Ventura Mission for six weeks and i was put in the area of golita which is uh what's it called what's it called the suburb of santa barbara so it was a it was a good
0: pretty nice pretty mission. nice spot and so how did that differ from your mission in mexico city in terms of just how the mi- mission functioned maybe the people stuff like that what were some big takeaways
1: it was kind of interesting to see how the how many things that were different like um, having a car but at the same time like our area even though it looked pretty big on a map since we were Spanish speaking there was literally one neighborhood for us to go to to talk to people and to teach people so it was kind of weird to only be there for like in that spots because there's just not as much as many things that you can do with with your time
0: do you remember any specific experience from that time that stood out to you?
1: Um, I would say something that did stick out from that that time. I One time we were teaching people, we were teaching someone who um, my companion said he had taught like uh, two months ago or something like that. And he had said that he was... Like he was pretty receptive to what we were saying, and when he came, we were able to talk with him for a bit. We had a member with us who was also a convert, um, and he was receptive. And then he started talking about how, like, I'm open to receive what you say, but in the end, I'm I'm Catholic, so I'm never gonna change, and we were like trying to figure out why is like why does that matter if he's, if you're Catholic, like, if you want to listen, that's like the important thing is to not just listen, but to act. And like, that's kind of when he started to like, be a little defensive, like, if I were to change, my family would disown me, they wouldn't talk to me ever. And that's when I remember who was a convert, And that's, that's what happened to me. I, when I joined the church, um, my family did stop talking to me. They don't ever talk to me ever anymore um however, that's not a decision I regret because I know that this this church is true and like for him to like be able to give that experience was was really special to to be able to help him to know like that it isn't like the most important thing in the world to to be in agreement with everyone rather right? the most important thing is to most importantly being in agreement with, with God and Jesus Christ
0: alright so then after that moment in California you finally go back to your mission in Mexico City, North Mission right? Mm-hmm. and at this point there's a new mission president, no there's not there's not when does When is there the new mission president?
1: Like a year later.
0: Okay. How many mission presidents did you have throughout your whole mission? Three. Three. And was that both... Is that counting California's? Or yeah. You, okay. So you had one the first time, one for part of the second time you went back to mm-hmm. Mexico City, and then a new one came. That's how much time you're out there. So... Was there anything you noticed differently about going back to Mexico City or did you just have a different outlook on life?
1: I mean, there's definitely a big difference with like the pandemic going on. So it just wasn't quite as possible to to do the work during that time because just like before, like I said, our ways of working were going with members going on the streets. Or talking like knocking doors. So with the pandemic, we're not allowed to go into people's homes. So we can't visit the members. We can't walk around in the street as much. We can't talk to people in the street, and we can't knock doors either. Because who's going to let someone in their home during a pandemic? Yeah. So when it's just weird to have to change the way that that you work. So suddenly we have to work from just calling people. Whether it was through a normal call or FaceTime, and just sending text messages, and a lot of Facebook was being used at that time.
0: And did you actually find a lot of people through Facebook? No,
1: no. not gonna lie. We I would say as a mission, we found about like ten people per month.
0: Okay, so it's not
1: like nothing either, but it's just it's not.
0: But not as much as. It could have been if you could have I don't know, using your other ways? Yeah, be you?
1: yeah, no, it's definitely not quite the same as the other ways.
0: And on Facebook would you just make different like little kinda of ads or more just like what were the posts focused on to get some people interested?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like a small like picture usually, like a normal post. And then it'd have like some words on it and just like usually, for example, a post could be a picture of, of Jesus Christ with the words like, Come, follow him. And then the caption would have like, Want to learn how to be closer to, to Christ? Then send us a message. So, since our pages were set up as business accounts, we could receive messages from people who couldn't send us questions or send us what their thoughts are and we could converse with them through that means and then in the end the goal was to try to get their phone number so then we could talk to them not only through like message over a business page we could have like text message or we could have phone calls with them and actually talk with them
0: nice um what was the most difficult topic to discuss with people on your
1: mission? I wouldn't say there's like necessarily one topic that's like more difficult than the other. What's difficult on the mission to talk with people about is usually like seeing what their problem is and like having to confront them directly to say like what you are doing is not okay. That is probably the hardest thing. For some people it might be like drinking. For some people it might be living in like, living together, stuff like that. Just depends on, on each person.
0: And were they ever really receptive to those things and understand why those things are bad? Or did you have to take time to explain why it is we believe we don't do certain things or we do other things?
1: I mean, obviously, like, certain things people make sense of. Like, no, not drinking alcohol, not smoking. Because... Like, that's just common sense to not do those things. But obviously, we'd also have to explain stuff like not drinking green or black tea, not drinking coffee, because that's something normal that everyone does. So just having, like, certain things, obviously, they're not going to be able to guess what the reasoning is. So we'd have to explain, like, little things to help them understand. And usually they would... It depended on the person. If the person was willing to do things right, then usually they would also be willing to keep these commandments.
0: All right, let's talk about fun things you did on your mission. So, every week on Monday, you had what they call P-Day. Does P-Day stand for something?
1: Preparation Day.
0: That's so convenient. Preparation Day. What would you do with that day? What are some fun things you do with your companions? Tell me about stuff like that.
1: Um... Preparation day, -day, P-Day, it depends a lot on the week and, like, what, like, where you're at, because we have from 8 to 6 to use P-Day, so, for example, if, so, in our mission, we had very few, like, cool things to do. There were like there's one pyramid up in the northern part of the mission in Tula, Hidalgo. There was a big mall in the south of the mission in Coacalco, and there was another outdoor mall next to another kind of big mall in like the western part of the mission, and there's a what's called a Pueblo México it's like a a magic town where it's kind of like a, like an old, old town that they make it look nice and they have like f- festivals and stuff like that there. And there's usually like some history behind the town, stuff like that. So there was one of those also in the, the western part of the mission. So those are four things. We had um, a lot more than four P-days in two years. Yes. So like you can only do like so many so many things because there's not a lot to do so usually after going to one of those places maybe we would maybe go this is a companion you could also like go hiking in some places sometimes you go play basketball with other companionships go play soccer with other companionships um sometimes we wouldn't do hardly anything and we just talk with our families most of the day, um, you know, sometimes you'd go get lunch somewhere, somewhere nicer. It just just depended on the day, but just just basic stuff like that. And then for the rest of the time, it'd be a lot of your normal day to day, week to week kind of stuff like buying groceries, um, cleaning the apartment, washing clothes, stuff like that.
0: So tell me about your day-to-day schedule besides p day what time you're supposed to wake up what do you do in the morning and yeah just your day-to-day schedule
1: mm, so every day we have a fixed schedule it starts we wake up every day at six thirty in the morning from there we have 30 minutes of exercise till seven o'clock from seven to eight we have an hour to get ready for the day eat breakfast get dressed stuff like that And then at 8 to 8.30, we would plan. we just plan our day, what lessons we're going to teach, what we're going to do in each hour of time. And then after that, from 8.30 to 9.30, you'd have personal study. From 9.30 to 10.30, we'd have companionship study. From 10.30 to 11, we'd have language study. And at eleven to eleven thirty is when you're supposed to be leaving the house. Uh, from then until two, you're supposed to be working, just teaching lessons, talking with people, finding people to teach, stuff like that. And then from two to three, we would eat with a member. We would go have like lunch, which is usually like their their big meal of the day. And then from 3 to the rest of the night until 9 o'clock, we'd start working again, just doing everything that we need to do to teach people, find people, stuff like that. And then from 9 until 10.30, we'd have to put everything in in the planner that we did, make sure that we put all of the principles in the lessons that we taught, because we had to organize and record all the stuff that we taught to the people so we didn't, you know, teach it twice or, Mm -hmm. like, so that way we knew, like, what they should know and what we needed to teach next. And then we would get ready for bed and go to bed at 10.30.
0: So that seems pretty gem-packed, right? Like, every minute of your day is planned pretty much to the dot. Did you ever have a point where you're like, wow, this is a lot? I kind of want to be done. I want to go home. Or were, did you always feel pretty good? What was your mental state during your mission?
1: I would say for the most of the 24 months that I was actually on the mission, it was fine. I didn't like, honestly, you feel really tired a lot of the time, all of the time, pretty much. You never really catch a break. But I'd say, like, maybe the only time that I started like to just feel it was kind of when I had been back for about like eight months, nine months, and like February, March, April. Cause in those months, to be honest, is when I had horrible companions to be with. So that's just when it just took the energy out of me. Just. just didn't feel as good doing stuff
0: and when they weren't good companions was it just like their work ethic
1: or uh-huh their work ethic the type of person they were <laughs> um
0: sometimes just personalities exactly just personality
1: bit. clash stuff like that
0: gotcha and so those were the times when you felt like man this is gonna be a long few months or f- long transfer
1: uh-huh exactly usually it be like this is gonna be long transfer because usually you kind of can tell when you're gonna be be going out or when you're gonna be getting changed you can also talk to the mission president if it's really that big of a problem so that way you don't stay with them for that long
0: all right so in regards to the culture in where you were serving I guess you said it wasn't actually Mexico City but in the Mexico City North Mission mm-hmm. what was something you liked about the culture there that is different here in the United States
1: um, something that I liked about the culture there. Um, I feel like there's a lot more community in Mexico there's a lot more of like a group Sense Like, I feel like the neighbors talk more with their neighbors and interact more among other people than they do here. So I like that a lot.
0: And in terms of learning the language, Spanish, at what point did you feel proficient enough where you could hold a conversation with someone whose native language is Spanish?
1: I feel like I could... Speak the language when I had about like three to four months, and then when I could like really like speak it well was around when I had like seven to eight months
0: of the mission. Uh So your first time going, did you feel like by the end of you coming back you knew it pretty well, or did it take going back the second time to learn even more?
1: I when I was back like right at that six months when I was back was like I had it down pretty well but it also was like right on the cusp of where I probably would have needed to solidify it more than like not lose it so after that year I did lose not all of it but I definitely lost some so those like two months three months of getting back into things is what helped me to learn the language even better
0: and we talk a lot about the gift of tongues or, in other words, I would say it's like, oh no, no. I would say it's like the gift of language learning, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Did you feel like that was present or did you feel it was more just an, a constant effort or a combination of both?
1: It's definitely both because it's like any gift or any like, like if you have the gift of being a good dancer you're just you're not just naturally a good dancer you usually like are proficient enough but you need to work at it right and it's same with this like the the gift of tongues like it definitely helps a lot but like if i'm not working to have it if i'm not working to on my own to learn the language well it's not gonna it's not gonna work
0: all right, and to start to wrap this up, what is one or two moments or events with other people in teaching the gospel that really stand out to you? What happened, and how has it strengthened you?
1: Um, two or three months teaching something gospel that strengthened me. Um, I was in one area for a total of five transfers, train for is six weeks, so I was there for 30 weeks in this area. 31, actually, because there was an extra week in there. So, as a result, it definitely was a bit challenging at times, I would say, because, um, like you just kind of feel like you're in the same doing the same thing over and over because you're literally walking the same streets all the time. But throughout those, th- that time I was there, I was able to meet a few people that I was able to have strong relationships with them just for, by the nature of being there for, for so long, right? And one of the people I taught named Anna Paula, just when we first met her, she kind of, like, she seemed really interested, but it was hard for her to, like, complete with her commitment, for for many circumstances in her life that she had but it was as she like did what she was supposed to as she read as she prayed about it she was able to gain an answer and a testimony of of the truth of these things and I feel like that's that's something that that's really really cool to me is just seeing how it has helped people and helped specifically like her people like her who before that no one would probably have ever thought that she would try to change and try to be like a member of this church, but in the end, you know, she is and now she's trying to help her family. So it'll just be it's just cool to see how it helps anybody. Alright,
0: and how would you say your own testimony was strengthened throughout being be, being on a mission and I guess what specific aspect of it was more strengthening to you?
1: Well, um, something that definitely helped was just, I mean, that is your two years. It's 24-7. Your job is to teach people about Jesus Christ. So, you're just always teaching. You're always talking about it with other people. And when you're home... You're you're studying about him a lot, so does the nature of those two years just strengthens and just helps you a lot in in gaining that uh, testimony.
0: And what aspect of you specifically do you think the mission changed the most?
1: I'd say the mission has helped me to have more faith the most. Um the scripture in Hebrew says faith is the let me see if I can say it in English the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things that are not seen but are real so when we have faith that means that we don't know entirely what's going to happen or how it's going to work out but we know that it's going to work out according to the plan that God has for us. So as I went through with faith, just trusting in my decision to stay home for the year and to learn and to do things and then go back out has helped me a lot to and everything else as I've I've had and strengthened this this faith.
0: And just so people know that you can speak Spanish. Um, what would you say when you'd walk up to people in the streets? What What's your opening line?
1: Hola, ¿qué tal? ¿Cómo está? ¿Qué, qué ando haciendo? Um, nosotros somos misioneros de la Iglesia de Jesucristo. Um, somos representantes de él. Y estamos aquí para pues, ayudarle a, a pues, acercarse más, más a él.
0: There you go. I'd say, come on inside. Teach me the gospel. Is that what they'd say? Sometimes. <laughs>
1: like 1% of the time. <laughs>
0: 1%. All right. Well, thank you, Keith, for taking your time to oh, talk geez. about your mission with me. Is there anything else you'd like to share about it?
1: Oh, uh, that, that you, sounds... shared, you
0: shared quite a lot. So, I hope everyone listening was able to kind of understand what a missionary does and obviously everyone has their own unique experiences this is just my brother Keith's experience and if you have any questions more i'm sure you can reach out to us and we can answer more about that but otherwise thanks for listening to another episode of alex's podcast and feel free to listen to next time bye, bye. good job Keith.